Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hello, I'm Lawrence Delalio. Welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast. Well, the opening weekend of the Six Nations certainly didn't let us down and brought us plenty of action to talk about. So joining me to do just that from the Evening Standard is Steve Corning and rugby correspondent Nick Purwell. Hello to you both, gentlemen. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Nick. Uh, hi, Nick. Sorry, start that again. Hi, Lawrence. How are you? That's quite all right. You can call me anything you like. I had a 50th birthday party on Saturday night. Sorry, I'm still feeling it a bit. It went on very, very late. So, uh, yes, <laughs> two-day hangovers are the norm now on 50. Well, last week, the three of us declared our allegiance to England, of course, but to make sure that we have some real balance in this week's pod, our guest is a man with an incredible 119, yes, 119 caps for Italy and a stack of Premiership and European titles to his name with Leicester. And of course, Toulon, it is the one and only Martino Castro Giovanni. Buongiorno Castro. How are you, my friend? Buongiorno, ragazzi. How are you? How are you doing, Lance? I'm smiling because it's uh, it's taking me back to uh, the week that we spent together a few months ago, touring around Italy. I think it was last May, wasn't it? And um, you were the star of the show, no doubt about that. The most famous man in Italy I've ever seen and literally gents every single person stopped Castro in the street and he was just a gentleman to every single young person that stopped him and I guess Castro uh, you looked after me like a like a VIP you treated me to uh, the full hospitality um, in Italy well that's how the Italian way no but I know I need to come to England and you need to pay when I come to England you know yeah, don't you worry. <laughs> I have plenty planned for this weekend and uh, we'll get on to the rugby in a little while. Steve, you've uh, you've obviously been uh, recovering from your 50th birthday. Nick, what have you been up to? Uh, I guess the build-up is relentless for you as the Evening Standard's main rugby man. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, obviously, I was at the game on the weekend and then looking at that on Sunday. Just spent some time with family, which was great, and then just sort of straight back into it this morning, really. You had a good chat with Carl Sinclair last week. And I'm sure uh, people would have read, you know, the column that he did. What did that sort of bring with you? I thought he actually played very well, Carl Sinclair. He looked much happier than uh, we've seen him in uh, in recent weeks. It was really, you know, fascinating speaking to Carl. He was just saying how he felt that it was important that he went and saw Eddie Jones in person before Eddie left, just to say thanks. Because he basically said, look, Eddie's been my only England uh, coach to this point. So he launched my test career. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here now. So I felt I had to see him face to face before he left. And then um, just sort of talking about how he set up a scholarship fund for young people who've sort of come through similar difficult backgrounds to, to you know to the one that he did so um you know he's sort of on that front um he didn't say this of course but you know he's put his money where his mouth is on that front so i think that's an extremely uh, admirable thing you know just trying to give more people opportunity in in south london to get into rugby and, and improve their studies and change their fortunes i suppose 
Talking about young people, uh, Lawrence, you had your big uh, Eight Rocks event last week for Delalio Rugby Works. How did that go? Yeah, very good. It's uh, Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, we had a big uh, annual charity event. It was a phenomenal evening, raising a huge amount of money. I think the last count, we raised £275,000 in the uh, in the auction, in the live auction. So, you know, that will uh, go a long way towards helping us to uh, keep the charity going for the next year or so. And uh, we had the wonderful um, voice of uh, Tony Hadley uh, and Pete Tong to, uh, well, not the voice of Pete Tong, but the uh, the set from Pete Tong. So, yes. Were your dance moves good? I had a few dad dance moves, but rather croaky. I'm, uh, I'm sounding a little bit croaky. And uh, we'll get on to the rugby uh, in a little while because uh, there's plenty for us to talk about. But before we do, I want to put some questions to Martin, our special guest. Martin, tell us a little bit about the uh, about how life has been for you since retiring, because I know you've been involved in this uh, reality TV show in uh, in Italy, and it's you've got your camps. You know, you're obviously enjoying retirement. Oh, of course, I enjoy a lot of retirement. I think uh, when I stop playing, you know, you don't know what to do. You know, when you don't have a family like me. And I started this new adventure and started doing Dancing with the Star was the first thing I did. And after that, I went to do Tusike Valles. It's like a UK got talent. And he's been doing that for a long time. Then I've been, I've been having my rugby academy and I've been doing like this in the summer. Then I've been doing some coaching in, you know, in some places and that's it. Not, not too much, enjoying life. I can tell you there's no time to do anything else because every single man and woman stops you in the street for a photo, that's for sure. But it's uh, it, honestly, it's been inspiring. Now listen, English listeners will know that you spent seven years, I repeat, Sette Andy, seven years with Leicester Tigers, an experience that you said changed your life. I'm hoping for the best. Uh, what was so special about your your time there? Well, everything. Apart from, well, I think we have one of the best team I play. You know, I play in a good team, but the team we have at Leicester, when Paul was was a massive team with the biggest name I ever play, and and I think we always say it changed my life because when I stopped, you know, when I left Leicester, you know, for me it was so difficult, you know, because was in a good relationship with Cockers and things like that, you know. And I left the club, and I don't think even Italy treat me how Leicester treat me when I left the club. You know, they 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 let me go in the, the piece of last last game with Jordan Murphy. I get the the trophy with Jordan, and I think every time I come back there, it's always have that you know that that love. And for me, you know, it's something I never I never want to forget. And uh, listen, tell me, is it true that your mum didn't want you uh, playing rugby when you were younger, and uh, you had to go quite a long way to finally get her to uh, to see? that her son, Castro can play rugby. Yeah, of course. My mum didn't want me to play rugby. And at one point when I used to play, I used to play basketball. And I had the, the stupid idea to do something, to stop playing basketball. And I went and finished the game. I went and pushed the ref. And I get sucked forever for, for basketball. And then I started playing rugby at 17 years old because I couldn't play basketball anymore. <laughs> That's it. And Castro, tell me, I couldn't not mention the your time in France. A lot of people who maybe didn't see you play rugby will recognise you from uh, some of the pictures that were taken in Las Vegas when they with uh, <laughs> with a with a foot with a certain footballer. Tell us what happened there. Was that? I mean, was that a, that was just a bit of a fun holiday? Were you were you supposed to be going home to get some treatment and you just got sort of slightly uh, detoured to, to Las Vegas or not? Well, what happened is I went to Vegas. Um, I have off time off, and when you have your time off, you can do what you want. My my mistake was saying I was going to Argentina when I rather can say to Vegas. And <laughs> when the club, when the club know that, it was happy of course because they lost against Leicester as well. But what happened there was a misunderstanding because I was free and I can go wherever I want. But I make a mistake because of course if I say I went to Vegas, they want to say no. If I say it was empty, they would say yes. That was 
the little mistake I make, but yeah, it was a big, it was a funny picture. And that's it. The, the only problem is because after that, I stopped playing rugby and that is the last picture people saw in here. Yeah, of course. Is your problem, Castro, your hair? Because you're so identifiable from your fantastic locks. I mean, have you ever been tempted now you're retired to have a little, maybe short back and sides or, or not? Are you you're going to keep them? Well, I want to keep it. They, they, you know, they, they start losing the hair a lot and I think I don't have for a long time. Mm-hmm. Really? Does it look like it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I think you've still got. I think you've still got a long way to go, Castro. That's for sure. I don't think so. Don't think so, my friend. When I mentioned earlier on, 119 caps for Italy. Obviously, it, it was tough at times because you know the the team is always going through a bit of a uh, a learning process. I mean, that's a long time for you to stay motivated. 119 caps. When let's be honest, a lot of those games you're getting beaten, and sometimes you're getting beaten. By a lot of points as well. How did you keep that going mentally? Because it's tough, no? But I call that resilience. You know, when you have a dream and you believe in your team and you believe in your teammates, you know, it's tough because people forgot. But for the first few years when I used to play in Italy, we, we don't win a game for maybe five years, maybe against Spain or wherever, maybe Germany, and that's it. And that's really tough. Like you believe, you know, you believe in your team. And Monday is really hard, you know, after one year, two years, when you don't win a game and all the papers talk really bad about you. It's tough. But, you know, resilience, I call that resilience and believing what you believe. If you had to pick the sort of highlights of your of your international career, when was the best moment with Italy? Was it beating, uh, well, I mean, you beat, uh, you beat Wales, you beat Ireland, you beat Scotland, I think. I mean, what would you say was the highlight? Well, I wouldn't say that year when we, we won the first time against France. I think that, that was a good year for us was that I think we, all of us have quite a long time playing together and I think that was a good team. We didn't win too many games, maybe two or three, I think, in the Six Nations, but it was a good team that one because it was long time together, you know, long time losing a lot of games and that keep you together. Listen, it seems like a good time to talk about Italy's fantastic progress uh, in the Six Nations. As you said already, you know, when you first started playing, you were losing for a long time before you got the win. But I mean, I think um, the performance against France shows how far they've come, really, in, the, in a long, long way, because France are a fantastic side. France managed to win by five points, but Italy stayed in the game right to the end, didn't they? And, and um, it must give you a lot of pride to see the, the journey that you guys started now is, is starting to develop into something quite special in Italy. Yeah, I'm so happy, with, I'm so really happy for the guys because they've been having a so bad time at the, you know, the last few years. And I think in November, when they won against, against Australia, they played a really good game against South Africa, I see the change of the team, you know, they have a, they become a team, you know, they have a character and I think now they don't see Italy as they want to come and win the game, now they need to study and they need to be ready and they need to be prepared to play against Italy and I'm so happy because this group of guys is, is young, you know, if you if you think that the year they have, I don't think this World Cup will be their World Cup, I think it's that still two World Cups is the time we need to see these guys because they want to have a lot of experience and I think that playing proper good rugby. They try to, to win the game every time and I'm so happy Italy play like that. I have to say I, I agree with you wholeheartedly and, and they they deserve enormous credit. I mean to play France and then England in your first two games, that's a tough ask. You mentioned the World Cup there. I would love to see a future World Cup being played in Italy. I, I think Italy would be a sensationally good place to host a World Cup. Could you ever see that happening? I think you know we. I'm pretty sure uh, that they've been involved in the bid before, but uh, it feels like maybe in a few World Cups time, a bit like we saw in Japan and maybe in America, that Italy would get a massive boost from hosting a World Cup. Oh yeah, I think it's a beautiful country to play a World Cup for everything. You know, for the history they have, and and I think because. 
I hope is because Italy deserves to play the World Cup in, in, in his country because I think his rugby is playing well. And I hope it's happened what you're saying. Two, maybe two or three World Cup, that can happen. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. So uh, Italy go to Twickenham on uh, Sunday. Probably a good time for us to talk about what happened on Saturday this weekend. Lawrence, uh, you were at the game for ITV Sport. Fantastically entertaining game, but overall, what's your views on how England played? Well, I mean, first of all, didn't really go quite to script, did it, for Steve Borthwick? And, and it's, you know, it just shows how hard it is to, um, you know, to win your opening games or win any game of rugby. And, and Scotland have got a bit of a sign over England over recent years, haven't they? That's the third Calcutta Cup on the trot. And they deserved it. And I, hopefully I was um, as balanced as one likes to be in these uh, things on, on TV. They, they played exceptionally well. I just saw England, uh, when you look at it, I think there was a lot to be positive about, except for the result. You know, I came away disappointed naturally because I, I hate losing, especially to Scotland consecutively. But I think there was enough that out there. You know, there was a, a pace at which they played at, which was... I mean, I've, I've never seen England play so much rugby in a game for a while. I don't think any England fans have either. Their territory, their possession, everything about it was, uh, you know, was different to what we've seen with Eddie Jones. And there were some notable performances as well. I think Oli Chesson really came of age at international rugby and he looks like a, a wonderful player. And I think up front, we probably dominated the game. Uh, just, we probably played slightly better than Scott's up front. And I don't think I'd be one-eyed in, in making that assessment. I guess the disappointment for England fans is that with all that territory and all that possession, we weren't able to be as clinical as perhaps we would have liked to have been. And, and uh, you know, Scotland had two opportunities in that first half and they took them both, didn't they? And that was the difference in the side. So lots to be positive about, lots to analyse. And, you know, I'm sure that they'll learn. Is it time to change 10, 12, 13 on Sunday? We'll never quite know which side Steve Borthwick would have picked had everyone been available. You know, um, maybe Nick might have a better view on that. But uh, yeah, I'm not comfortable with, in that scenario with, with uh, you know, Farrell and Smith. You've got to go with one or the other, in my view. Yeah, Nick, you've um, I've seen you've written today in the uh, in the Evening Standard in tonight's paper all about Steve Borthwick's slight little dig maybe at Eddie Jones and the statistics showing how bad England had been under him. I mean, what was your view on being at the game on Saturday? I think one good thing about Steve there is it comes across as a dig, but it isn't really. He was just sort of talking facts and kind of saying that England are starting from a pretty low bar because the scrum was terrible and the maul was bad. And he's saying it's going to take them a long time to get those two things where they want them to be to make them strong weapons again. I thought, like Lawrence, I thought Ollie Chesson was brilliant. And I think the important thing there is England have really needed a tight headlock and that will help the scrummaging. I think it's important that it's the same person scrummaging regularly on the tight head side. That really gives massive stability to the front row. And he's obviously made an immediate impact in the scrum and around the field. That should free up Courtney Law's to play six when he comes back. And obviously that has problems and changes the back row balance. And we've talked about that before. And obviously, as Lawrence says, you want you know natural flankers. But I think with the personnel and resources they've got at the moment, I think if you can have a fully fit and on form laws, that six, that would add a bit of nous and experience and power to the back row. But also bolster the line out while they're trying to improve that element of things and probably improve them all. But I thought England were really good um, in many respects, much like Lawrence. You know, if England had won that game, everyone would be looking at this in a very different way, and they could easily have done. But the fact that they didn't is a problem because 
is a mark of a good side to play badly and win. So what does it say about a team that plays well and loses? And defensively, it was a shocker. Yeah, 25 missed tackles, wasn't it? Well, Van der Merwe's solo try was fantastic, but he beat six England defenders, none of whom will be happy with their attempt to tackle him. And I think in terms of on the attack, it was absolutely brilliant. We haven't seen England tackle like that in a long time, and that's to their great credit. But defensively, they've, they've got a lot to sort out and... Certainly one issue, a few things they've resolved between 10 and 12 defensively created some problems between 12 and 13. Uh, You know, Farrell and Marchant didn't look connected at all. A number of times, you know, Scotland busted the line very easily there. So there's a few things they've got to sort out. I would agree with Lawrence that eventually they've got to make a decision between one of the two players to play 10 and have the other one on the bench. And, And quite clearly that's Farrell with Smith on the bench. But in the meantime, I think their issue has been if they don't pick home Farrell at 12, I think they consider there's a bit of a drop off between Farrell and their considered next best 12, who potentially is Dan Kelly. But I, you know, I do think also if fit, I know that they've obviously played Henry Slade a lot of 13, but I'd be fascinated to see him go at 12. I think Ollie Hassel Collins did really well coming in, but I have to ask Martin and Lawrence, would you ever go onto the rugby field with painted nails? I know they were patriotic. Did you see them, Castro? We mentioned it in the commentary, and Nick Mullin said to me, Lawrence, what do you think of uh, Ollie Hassel Collins's painted fingernails? He had the uh, England colours on there, and I said, look, you need to talk to Scott Hastings, the backs, about getting your fingernails painted. It's got nothing to do with me, but, uh, you know... It's uh, in this new age, the players have, uh, you know, can do do what they want without any criticism. So good luck to him. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. England ahead of Italy this weekend. I don't think they're going to change the way that they're playing enormously. Um, I think they'll go out and they'll 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 play at pace. They'll play with tempo. They've just got to be a bit more accurate in their in their attacking game because there was times when they fell out of shape, particularly in that second half. You know, they seemed to go one way, they weren't weren't quite sure whether they were coming back the other way, and and I think that's just an understanding of their attacking game. And then defensively, Kevin Sinfield. I mean, he's a better coach than that. He, that, you know, and his players, either they let him down or uh, or there was some, you know, some system errors. But what I noticed is that when the kicking game became unstructured, all of a sudden there were type five forwards, you know, sort of marking 
quite wide spaces and big spaces. So uh, I think there's a lot of work to do defensively. And I'm sure Castro, uh, Italy, whilst they know England will uh, be a, a, a tough game, I'm sure they'll take a lot of confidence coming into uh, into this week. Yeah, there's a lot of confidence. But remember, we play against England in England after... You don't want this situation. You know, I say England lost against Scotland. At home, they need to play really well. And I don't think it's the best game to Italy, you know, to go and play. But I think... How you say, I think they need to concentrate in the defense because the defense of Italy has been really good. There's something has been improving a lot. And I think if they keep that, they gain, well, we can have a close game in the end. And, and who do you see as the really key people for Italy in their team at the moment? I mean, you've got Ange Capuzzo, the fantastic fullback who's uh, who's playing exceptionally well. But who are the really important players for, for our listeners to look out for this weekend in the Italian team? Well, I think, you know, I'm always look at the at the tough work. And I think the two back rows of Italy, they've been doing a massive, massive work. Go and see them in the strand, around the around the beach, in the line out. And I'm really happy with the two second row. Um, I'm of course I think Fischetti is one of the best probably I've been seen player in, in the six nation. Yeah, Fischetti's really come on, hasn't he? He's he's a, a major weapon for you guys now. I mean, obviously you've got so much experience of scrummaging and, and for Italy, you think it's sort of coming back to being a, a good weapon again for the side. Yes, definitely. And you can see it, you know, Ferrari is a solid guy, you know, he's been changing the hookers, but the scrum is still in there. And I think whether you have this competition in the team, this is the, the key point for the Italian team because I don't think you never have all these people as much because you have in the bench, you can, we have changed in the game in the, in the bench. We never have that before. And I think it's a good it's a good time for the Italian team. I think the rest will arrive, but I don't think we need to concentrate this time just for you know, to winning to winning games so win one or two games. I think we'll be a result of our game. Definitely. Just to do a bit of marketing for the RFU, there are still some tickets available, unbelievably, for the game on Sunday. So anybody who wants to go and watch can do. But I think we also need to uh, reflect on Ireland, who clearly put down a statement on Saturday against Wales with that victory. Uh, obviously, a bit tough for your old coach Gaps Warren Gatland back in his. First game, Lawrence. Did you see manage to see most of that game? Yeah, I did actually. I mean, look. First of all, not the start Gatlin wanted at all. Um, you know, and it's probably a classic game of two halves. Really, they just started so badly. But Ireland can do that to you, or Leinster can do that to you, whichever one you want to call it. I mean, they there's a reason why Ireland I think are the favourites for the tournament this year, just because they've got the fixture against France this weekend, obviously at home, and then the England fixture also uh, in Dublin. But they just showed how good they are. Their attack is probably the one that understands each other better than any other team in, in the world because they all, they all play so cohesively together at Leinster. So, yeah. And I think with Wales, they'll reflect on that match and thought, well, we can't give... I mean, what was it? 27-3 at half-time? I mean, that is giving yourself an enormous mountain to climb. So, I always say to people, more often than not, the team that are winning a game of rugby at half-time tend to go on and win the match. So, you know, I know that sounds obvious, but you've got to have a fast start in, in, in a game of rugby. You can't be coming from behind because occasionally it happens and you can have these miracle comebacks, but very, very rarely. So, yeah, look, Ireland looking good. I think all those try scorers, actually, Caelan Doris, James Ryan, James Lowe and Josh van der Fleer, they're not players that are out of form, are they? These guys are banging form. So I think it's going to be tough for, for any side to beat Ireland at the moment. Yeah, what do you think, Nick? Do you think Ireland are now head and shoulders favourites for the tournament? Yes, probably for the reasons that Lawrence has said. And I think what's really fascinating is I interviewed Sean O'Brien recently because he's coaching at Leinster now after the end of his career and he's a contact skills coach there. And he was talking about just the system and the benefits of it for Ireland is exactly what Lawrence touched on there. Players know exactly what they're doing when they go into that international setup. And interestingly, another thing he said that struck me was that um, Andy Farrell has 
relaxed things in the island camp. It was famously stripped under Joe Schmidt. And and I think at that time, they ne- they really needed that because they really needed some of those sort of methodologies really grounded into what they were doing. But Schmidt's an unbelievable coach, but he works very, very hard and he works the players very, very hard. There's no real off time or off switch. And I think one thing that Andy Farrell sort of understood is that the players kind of needed um, a bit of downtime around the situation. And I think that's paying massive dividend. And Lawrence talks about James Ryan. He is ridiculously good because he's a tight head lock. Not only is he real power, he adds a real ballast in the scrum. He's great a carrier. He's a very smart guy. He'll lead the line out. He's a future island captain right there. But they've got players like that coming around all, all over the place and you know a lot of them coming through Leinster. And I think this, the synergy they've got there is a massive, massive advantage. We all know, we don't need to go into the reasons why, but England don't have that kind of seamless setup, even though it's far, far better than it ever has been. But the disconnect that's there that can't really be solved in England, the same for France really, is a huge problem and it's a massive advantage for Ireland. Yeah. So shall we move on to our player of the weekend? There were a lot of outstanding performances across the Six Nations, but Lawrence, who are you going to go for? Well, please forgive me for picking a player from a losing team, but the, I thought the performance of Oli Chesson really, for me, stood out. It's a young novice uh, who hasn't had a lot of experience, hasn't played a lot of rugby, and I just thought he played very, very well. So, you know, it's a slightly probably controversial selection, but I'm going to go with, with Oli Chesson. Martin, who was your player of the weekend? Well... I need to go for a losing team as well. I think I will go for Capuzzo because Capuzzo has been he's been there all the time, and even when people think they will go and try to catch him, then they cannot do it. And I think he's he's the key player for instance. Yeah, Nick, I'll take the obvious one and say Van der Merwe. Just you know, for obvious reasons, because of, of the impact he's had there, you can't really deny what Scotland have managed to do there. And uh, Gregor Townsend likened it to the first try to playing uh, Jonah Lomu rugby on the PlayStation. It's sort of all of a sudden, one player was able to go faster than everybody else. So. And uh, Steve, on that note, then anyone different for you? Well, I'm actually going to go from somebody from Scotland team as well. Craig Chalmers talked him up last week on the show. Finn Russell, I just thought, was outstanding, orchestrated everything. His range of passing is just fantastic. But more than anything else, I think for the arrogance he showed when Van der Merle scored that try and he barged in to uh, Owen Farrell as he was running back towards the line just to show him his appreciation of scoring. So, uh, yeah, I think a fantastic performance by him all round. Uh, I think we also need to look at our predictions for this weekend now as well, though, don't we? So um, three fantastic games coming up. Ireland against France. Martin, who are you going to pick to win that one? Ireland. Easy enough. Lawrence? Huge game, that isn't it? Huge, huge game. Yeah, I, th- I think Ireland, uh, I do think we'll, we'll have enough against them. They just look so strong. And I think there'll be there's a little bit of revenge isn't there, uh, to get out of them because France have been unbeaten in how many games now? 15, 16 test matches, something like that. But the, uh, they've beaten Ireland uh, in a few of those as well. So uh, Ireland will, will want to get their revenge. Yeah. Nick? I'd love to see this game on a neutral venue this weekend. I just think that would be the absolute... And obviously that's not the point of the Six Nations and the beauty of the Six Nations is in the tribalism that we need to protect and celebrate. But it would be fascinating to see if you took that home advantage away, who would win it? But I think, yeah, I think Ireland will probably just pip it. Yeah. Now, can the Scots follow up their win over England and make it two out of two, which uh, I think for the last three seasons they haven't managed to do? Um, Martin, do you see Scotland beating Wales? Well, if they play in the way they played last weekend, yes, definitely they will. Was there be a close game by we were for Scotland? Yeah. Lowell, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. This, this tournament's got the ability to be so unpredictable. You know, you'd say Scotland, but, you know, Wales will be smarting from that performance. You know, Warren Gatland is, it will not be happy with that. And I think there's more in that Welsh team than, than we've seen. 
I'm going to go for a little surprise upset there. I think I might have go with Wales. Mm. Nick? Yeah, I'll say Scotland, but I think it will be tight. Now, then for the big one on Sunday, I'm actually going to go bold here. This is the only prediction I'm going to make, is that Italy will get a draw at Twickenham with England. Now, Castro, I'm sure you like the sound of that one, but do you think I'm uh, away with the fairies? Well, I, you know, I'm superstitious. Um, I'm still superstitious, but I think England will won the game, but I definitely think it's not going to be that easy game for, for England, and I think it's going to be a really close game. Yeah, I guess, uh, Lawrence, from your perspective, obviously it's a, it's a big one. I think England... Uh... England to get off to a uh, winning start under Steve Borthwick and me and Castro to have a spectacular weekend because he's coming over as my guest uh, in the green room uh, uh, with his lovely lady and uh, we're going to have some fun together. So, uh, yeah. Nick, what do you think? You're obviously going to the game for the standard. Yeah, I, I think England will win, but I think it will be very difficult. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Italy live. And I just think Kieran Crowley's done wonders for for what they're doing and where they're coming and um Probably a little, little bit of a nod to Conor O'Shea for some of the systems he put in place, which is helping you know this new era of um, of talents to come through. And uh, like Castro was saying, three or four years time, those players with that experience, it could be it could be a hell of a side. So it's slightly soon for them, but I think I think it'd be a really good game. Yeah. Okay. Now, well, it's time, Castro, for you to be tackled by Lawrence. Now, Lawrence, I would actually like to set you the challenge of doing it all in Italian this week, but would that be a struggle or do you think you'd manage a few? That probably would be a struggle for me, actually, <laughs> because, um, you know, words like superhero, I'm not sure, sure about that. <laughs> tackled. Now, listen, Castro, we have a quick fire questions, which we ask all our guests. What is your, your full name? Please. Martin Leandro Castro Giovanni. Leandro Castro Giovanni. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Sound great. What is your... Now, listen, maybe in England you change your, your mind, but in Italy we don't have a word called takeaway. It it's, makes you anxious. But what was your favourite takeaway when you were playing rugby in Leicester Tigers? Um, Indian. Indian, yeah. And what was the uh, what was the last movie you watched? Uh, I watched an Italian movie called uh, Bravi Ragazzi. Bravi ragazzi. Um, and what do, you, what do you have now? In Well, I've seen what you have for breakfast. Um, you just have a little espresso and uh, followed by another little espresso. And then if they if the pastry is tempting enough, then you might have it in pastry as well. Huh? Um, what's your nickname in in, uh, in Italian rugby? Or was it just Castro? Or? Yeah, everyone called me Castro. Castro's. Yeah, and that's not Fidel Castro, by the way, just so we're clear. Uh, <laughs> what was the best advice that you were given? I think was what the... My coach said to me, you know, he always said to me, you try to be yourself and don't look backwards and try to enjoy your life. And I think this is the most beautiful thing they did because I live like that. I live that way. Try to be a kid of my life. Fantastic. Who is the most famous person in your contact, in your phone? Who, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of superstars in your phone. I'm sure now you're living uh, the TV life. Well, I would say Ibra. Ibrahimovic, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, he's pretty cool. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, in his world, he's the most famous man in the world anyway. Exactly. Um, <laughs> who, now, listen, people are going to love this. Who would play you in a film about your life? Well, I would love to be DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Yeah, because look like me, you know, it's blonde like me. And of course, yeah. Quite similar as well. <laughs> now, listen, you're a, you're a funny man. I've hung out with you for five days, but who is the funniest person that you know? Who was the person that makes you laugh in the, the rugby team or, yeah, probably when you were when you were playing? Well, I think I have to Fabio Ongaro, used to be the hooker. Yeah. And Gonzalo Canale used to be the, the centre of the Italian team. I think that you the quite stupid two guys I ever met. <laughs> uh, now, listen, I know the answer. Are you a dog or a cat person? A dog. I have three dogs. What is your favourite TV show? 
my famous TV show. Well, I will say to speak about this is honestly, it's not because I'm doing it. It's because it's one of the best shows we have been in Italy. It is. It is a very, very good show. Which uh, superhero would you most like to be? Uh, I would like to be Superman. Perfect. And um, in your opinion, who was the best rugby player of all time? No one know him. Well, well, was a good player for me, but for me, changed my life. And was Tati Filan. You remember the number six of Argentinian? I think that was one of the the players I always loved to see watch play because he was small, but no one can pass him. And I and I love that player. Fantastic. And what has been your most uh, memorable rugby moment? I think the, the time I've been in Leicester, I think that was the most beautiful time in my life, yeah. And I think the first championship I mean, with Leicester was, was incredible. Well, listen, uh, Castro, thank you very much for being our guest this week. I can't wait to see you at the weekend. We're looking forward to it. I've got uh, the itinerary uh, already mapped out for us. So if we make it to the game, it'll be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all for this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast my thanks to Martin to Steve uh, and to Nick we'll be back next week with all the action from round two of the Six Nations make sure you're subscribed to the pod so you don't miss out and if you like what you've heard then share an episode with your mates until next time thanks for listening everyone and goodbye The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.